welcome back to another episode of Girlfriend's Guide Podcast. We are your lovely hosts. My name is Ellie. And I'm Tati. If this is your first time tuning in to our podcast, make sure you click that subscribe button and don't forget to comment and like. Um, so Tati and I are going to catch up. You guys know how this goes for those who are tuning in for the first time. Tati and I, we usually catch up for the first half of the not the first half. Well, our catch up are pretty long sometimes, right? <laughs> so we'll catch up and um, y'all see, y'all gonna hear about how Tati and I are doing, basically. So go ahead, Tati. This episode is coming out, is what, we're coming out in April? Yes. Um, so before Tati says anything, I do want to say a happy, happy birthday to our special girlfriend's guide host, Tati. Is this happy my birthday? Um, I think this is leading it's, it's in the it. realm it's in the yeah, realm it's you know i'll take the happy birthday i'll take yeah. it yeah <laughs> that's my birthday is april 14th this is coming out before after who knows um so yeah i'm excited have things planned in the process of planning so that's gonna be fun this has um, a whole project i have a whole project yeah so if it hasn't come out yet stay tuned and if it did come out go comment and go watch and go like and go do all of that so hyper up. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, so right now we're in March. Um, mm-hmm. Cool special shout out, because this weekend we're going to go celebrate um, our friend Ashley's birthday this weekend. Yes, um, we are. We are getting... Hey, it's going to be a very interesting weekend. Very interesting. I'm excited. I'm ready. I'm ready. Ready. But other than that, damn, I feel like we haven't caught up in a while on it. It's because we've recorded a few episodes at yeah. once, and then we've had a gap of um recording episodes where we could really catch up. So yeah. um I guess I feel like a month, like you would since we release episodes every other month, we record one episode um per yeah. month. Yeah. So well guys, well, I don't think we, oh we had our live. Yeah, we had our amazing live with Taja. Thank you for yes. thank you for everyone who joined. Yes, that was that was a really that was a very interesting one. It was we learned a lot. Educational. Educational. And if you guys missed the live, go ahead and um listen to the episode with Taja. Yes, I think it's um, called The Sex Talk You Never Had. Yes, the, the sex talks you never the sex talk you never had. Yeah, so definitely go check that out. It's very entertaining. You learn a lot. We learn a lot. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I've been holding off on sharing this information for a bit. Look at Tati's face. <laughs> I've been waiting. Um, yeah, so um, so my catch-up is I've been waiting on sharing this information. I feel like this episode, you know, corresponds with what I'm about to share. Um, I'm the kind of person I'm pretty, like, personal on sharing, like, what I'm doing and what I'm working on. So... Um, for the past few months, I've been working on um, becoming a certified doula. <laughs> okay. Yo, pause, pause, pause. Because okay. sis already has her bachelor's. <laughs> she has her master's. Kunya, she is going to become a certified right. African-American woman yes. doula. Yes. If yes. the price wasn't up before, it, it's up <laughs> now. It's up. It's up. <laughs> um, so I started classes back in November, and um, this was just a decision I made because um, I really focused on maternal health um, in grad school. 
that I felt like, you know, how could I really help um, Black women? How can I really help African-American women? Um, and the one thing is that I knew I wasn't going to go back to school. I'm not doing that. Like going back to school for like years to become like a midwife and all that. That's not for me. So I wanted to find a way I could really help women. And I decided to take doula classes and it was great. It's so interesting. Um, the doula class is really for, it's not only for African-American women, but also for me too, because like when I took the class and I'm about to share with you all, it's just like, I was scared. Like, I was just like, I hope to be a mother in the future and to see how black women are treated in healthcare is just, and the neglect that they experience is just scary. And I was scared. I'm literally typing my research paper and I'm just like, I don't think, I don't know about this mom, this mom life, this mother life for me. And um, when I took the class, I felt more, you know, more educated. And it's just like, um, understanding and knowing that you have the power over your body when you go to the hospital. It's not, it's not just you handling your birth experience to the doctors or the midwife um, or the doula, but it's also you being part of your birth experience. And that was amazing. And um, I've learned so much and I definitely want to help mothers in the future, especially those who are in the undeserved communities that don't, um, that don't have access to this. So I'm hoping that in a couple of months, once I finish doing, um, completing my hours, um, I'll be a complete certified doula and I can start helping others. So that's my news. Finally shared this. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to share this information. Yes, and it's not my news to share. So <laughs> I had to wait. But I'm just so proud of you because the Black women, we need people that look like us, especially field and especially when it comes to us giving life so I'm just so proud of you and you. she's gonna be my doula and <laughs> if you need a doula hit her up period I am actually already gonna be a doula for a close friend so yes yes, yes you I are am. that's gonna so, be exciting it is it's pretty exciting so um I, I'm excited I'm excited mm -hmm. um it's gonna be tough because I do plan on still being full-time working and also doing yeah I don't know how you're gonna do that but but you know, it's what money resides, what money resides. What money resides. If I can help one mother um per year, that would that would still make me really happy. Yeah. So yeah, that's my news, guys. So I'll keep you guys updated on my journey on becoming a doula. Um, so you guys probably already know what this episode's about because I said this corresponds to it. So um for those who don't know, Black maternal health is very important to me. It's a topic that's so dear to my heart. And after doing my research paper for grad school, I realized how much America is failing on Black mothers. And I feel like it's a topic um, that is not being talked enough. And there's lack of policies that are being implemented um, in different states. And with this episode, what I really want is to raise awareness about alarming rates at which Black mothers face life-threatening uh, while they're pregnant. And currently, Black mothers are di are dying in, like, delivery rooms, and they're suffering from neglect from, like, healthcare providers. Um, and I just feel like this needs to be talked about, and these issues um, need to be addressed. So for today, our topic is going to be talking about Black maternal health. 
So the month of April, for those who don't know, is recognized in the United States as National Minority Month. And April 11th to the 17th, um, we celebrate National Black Maternal Health Week. So for this episode, we will be focusing on Black maternal health. We'll be focusing on Black mothers. Um, and then leading on, I'm giving you guys a preview. So leading on to the next episode for the end of April, we'll still be focusing on um, we'll be focusing on Black women's health. Um, so for this episode, I'm going to go ahead and read you guys the meme of the week. So the meme of the week, it says that United States has the highest maternal mortality rate um, in the world. And I'm going to show this. Um, well, it'll appear on the YouTube, but I'll post this on our Instagram. So basically, it shows the different states. It shows UK, it shows Portugal, France, Spain, Australia, and the US is like up here. It's like up here. We're supposed to be like this great country and we have like the highest mortality rates for mothers. Like, I don't get it. And the mat uh, maternal deaths are largely led by one single demographic and that is led by black women. So black women are, are likely to die from pregnancy and childbirth um, based on different issues such as like hypertensions that they could be facing when they come into delivery room. And this is some, um, we'll be talking about this. Um, we'll be diving into this a little bit more, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about this now. So we're going to dive into this episode. So today on this episode, I would like to welcome Adriana. She is a doula, a doula trainer, and she is a student wife. So welcome, Adriana. Thank you so much for joining us. Adriana, you are muted. <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassing. Oh, hi, ladies. Thank you guys. I mean, I'm so excited to be here. Um, yeah, that was really good. Okay. <laughs> I'm so happy that you could join us. Um, and I'm so glad that I reached out and you were able to um, meet with us. And we could discuss you being on this podcast. I know you're pretty busy. And as doulas, you don't know when there's an emergency that's going to come on, come up. So I'm really happy that you could really squeeze us into your schedule. Oh, definitely. Um, I always try to make time for really important conversations like this, because I think that um, change starts in conversations. And until we start, until we start having the conversations that we need to have, change won't happen. Um, of course, we need some action behind those things as well. But um, I'm excited to be here and I'm so excited for the conversation. I think it's going to be a really good one. Awesome. Awesome. So before we start, why don't you go ahead and tell us what is a doula? Because a lot of people don't really know what doulas are. Um, everyone mm -hmm. knows what a midwife is. Um, everyone knows what a OBGYN is. Um, but a lot of people don't know what doulas are and what are their purpose and how they can serve them. So that would be great if you could really you know, tell us and our listeners what are what are doulas and what are their purpose? Definitely. I think, like you mentioned, there is a lot of confusion around um, what doulas do and what is what is doula care um, and why is there a necessity for them? Um, so just basic definition, doulas are non-medical professionals that um, cater to women, cater to birthing people, people, excuse me, um, emotionally, physically, mentally, socially, and every facet that 
you know, encompasses ma the maternal period. And that can be preconception up until postpartum, years after postpartum. Um, I tell my students all the time that um, you are eternally postpartum. There is no set time where postpartum ends. Um, and so really it's about caring for women in a different way for the rest of their lives because you will always be postpartum. There are different types of doulas. There's postpartum doulas, there's birth doulas, there's sex doulas, um, yeah. and they're in your community. So how can like someone, you know, find a doula? Like what is the best resource? Do you ask your doctor for a doula or how do you know yeah, about doing I mean, that? I think word of mouth is the number one way that doulas tend to kind of get into practice about being becoming a staple in the community. Um, so I think word of mouth is a great way. A lot of times, nine times out of 10, when I'm hired, when someone is seeking out recommendations for a doula, they're asking the people around them, they're asking their friends and their family, um, they're asking their providers. So it may be a midwife or an OB that's giving you the recommendation. Um, and of course, if someone has a really positive experience with a doula, they gush about them. They only they talk about all the positive things. So they're talking to anyone who will listen really. So um it's also a really good way. Word of mouth is number one. Number two, the internet is a great resource, right? Like you can really search and find anything on the internet, including doulas. Um, I would be weary because just like, you know, you wouldn't necessarily order, um, I don't even know, like you wouldn't order a boyfriend or a fiance, although there's like mail and mail order rides and all that other stuff, but you wouldn't order um, an intimate partner on the internet. You'd probably shouldn't order, quote unquote, a doula um, on the internet as well, because there are some safeguards that need to happen. Um, and it's really important that you're forging a connection with that person, a relationship with that person. And the first time you meet them should not be on your Labor Day. Uh, <laughs> um, there, there should definitely be a relationship leading, on, leading up to um, the birth. I just have a question. Um, just based off of the definition of a doula, and you said they're here to help guide you physically, emotionally, spiritually. So this leads into the next question that we actually had. Um, and I want to speak specifically, like, just not speaking for every Black woman, but especially myself, um, and especially Ellie, too. We're both Haitian. And mm -hmm. a lot of women, especially women of color, Black women, are very spiritual, not necessarily saying religious, but emotional mm -hmm. and mental connections really play a part in their life. So would you say that for those who don't understand what a doula is or don't think a doula is necessary, would you say that there's an aspect that a doula provides that just goes beyond physical, but goes spiritual, emotional, mentally to help that labor be the most calming, but also, even though it's not a calming situation, but they do provide a sense of peace and ease that just goes beyond mm -hmm. the physical act of actually going through labor. So do you think that the doula right. is needed in order to just help with your other senses besides the physical aspect of it? Definitely. Um, I think you put it together in a very eloquent way. The act of giving birth is very much like the act of bearing fruit, right? You're bearing fruit in a new way. And, um, I'm also, you know, spiritual, religious, quote unquote. I grew up, I'm Haitian as well, so grew up in the church. Um, and that bearing fruit doesn't happen until you're able to um, really hone in on all the things that make you you. You know what I mean? And you can't bear good fruit on spoiled ground and grounds. And that doesn't mean that babies could, um, can't be born um, 
perfectly healthy in toxic situations. But of course, we want out of this experience healthy moms, healthy babies, healthy families. And that can't happen unless we're addressing the spiritual, the emotional, the mental, the physical needs of a person, of a personhood, of a woman, of womanhood, of a family. Um, and so it's very, very important. And that's also why um, before I mentioned the act and the responsibility that doulas have with their clients to build a relationship because I cannot help um, and aid someone in this in such an amazing transformational transition in their life without knowing them on an intimate basis. So it's really important that we're building relationships, that we're having those conversations, that she um, feels she can trust me in her space and vice versa. I feel trusted in her space because there's really a, a responsibility to be there like not just physically be there emotionally mentally spiritually in all ways so um i definitely think that the responsibility of doula care the need for doula care transcends past the physical um i've been to births where i'm not necessarily i don't necessarily need to be touching them and need to be hands-on with them the entire time of the birth it's really about being able to speak words of affirmations right be uplifting in my words um be a positive force in the in the space and also for someone to know that if no one else, my doula has my back. Do you know what I mean? If nothing else, if no one else, my doula knows what I want, she's gonna advocate for me. Um, she's gonna be there regardless. Um, and she's gonna carry me through this as much as she can. That's amazing. Um, and that's why I liked how you said that you should meet with your doula before because you have to create a childbirth plan. And I think mm -hmm. a mother was just like, hey, I know for me specifically, I'm gonna need prayer in that room because God knows, <laughs> God knows. Um, so definitely, it's like if I express my doula, definitely prayer is something I would want in the mm -hmm. delivery room. Prayer is something mm -hmm. that I know that she's going to make sure that I receive in the delivery room. So yeah. it's definitely important to have that relationship with your doula to know what she could provide for you physically, emotionally spiritually mm. your doula is like that's your number one person besides your husband there like I've seen and watched videos of like the husbands in the background doulas can like get husbands involved um I I think it's great to get husbands involved but I've seen mothers who are just like no you're like you're with me like you're with the doula they're like mm. you're my person right there and then yeah. um so yeah. definitely that relationship you're building with that mother is it's amazing because they they Trust yeah. you and um, especially um, with Black mothers, um, what's going on in the world, I think it's great to have someone who knows what they're doing and that they can definitely trust and depend on. 100%. And I think you brought up a good point there because it's really, um, it's really about building relationship in a different way, right? Um, and also being able as a doula to help strengthen the other relationships and dynamics that are going on in the room. So, um, you know, some dads are really, some partners are really um, hesitant to become part of the process and don't necessarily know where their place is, don't know where the, don't really know how to find their footing. Um, but of course, care and love for this person. I tell my dads all the time that you know her better than anyone else in this room, better than I ever will. So it's really your responsibility, your unique responsibility um, to take charge in a different way. This is her arena, right? We're all here to work for her. We're all here to give her what she needs. But ultimately, after 
after God, of course, you're in control. After her, she, you're in control, right? And I, I hate to put my dad in the back burner because ultimately, like, when we're talking about babies being born, right? The doula, I get to go home. I don't get to, I don't bring a baby home, right? Y'all are bringing a baby home. So it's really about y'all being together in this every single step of the way, every contraction, um, every, every feeling of uneasiness. It, I'd rather my my uh, moms hear their husband or their partner's voice before they hear my voice, right? I'm there for them. I'm with them. Um, I'm going to support them. My voice is there a hundred percent, but it's really up to my dads to be able to really put on that armor, put on that hat and lead the force um, after her. And I, and I think it's really important that we're able as doulas to um, strengthen that relationship between partners, whatever the relationship status is um, on paper, um, it's really important that their bond is greater than anything else in that room because it's them that's going to welcome that baby and have to take that baby home and parent that baby for the rest of their lives. So um, that's really important piece as well. I definitely how you said and you incorporated it's not just physical. There's many other aspects to it because I, I think as mental health becomes more prevalent in healthcare, mm -hmm. especially more prevalent in the African-American culture, that we need to understand that Physically, if things aren't right emotionally and mentally, it's going to have a negative impact. I think we are so used to having them in three separate boxes, not understanding they're all intertwined. Um, I know mm. me personally, throughout the years, I've developed anxiety and my anxiety manifests in physical, like physical presentations. Like I get nauseous. I feel like I have to throw up. I feel mm. like I have to gag. And it's just kind of like, that's just basic, not well, basic anxiety versus if I'm in labor and that's a whole anxiety ridden situation i can't even imagine the physical symptoms that will present in already such a traumatic mm -hmm. situation so i really like how mm -hmm. you incorporate and how doulas it's not just like okay the purpose is to get the baby out safely and health healthy which is obviously the end goal but let's also make sure mom is good let's make sure mm -hmm. dad or partners incorporate let's just make sure it's not just mm -hmm. a physical you're a, a vessel mm -hmm. pushing something out you're a human you're feeling right. like let's just yeah. have all of these emotions entwined and I appreciate that that's what you do and I appreciate that you're a woman that looks like me and can provide mm -hmm. that healing and peaceful place for me it's great too um I've watched um videos during classes of how fathers and dads are involved during the child um the childbirth during birth um because that's part of the plan the mothers want that it's like they're hands-on mm -hmm. like whether if, if it's in the delivery room in the hospital, they're on the bed with them, or whether it's like mm -hmm. in, uh, in the tub, um, the father's mm -hmm. there, you know, to, to support the mother. And I, I really love seeing that because like you said, mm -hmm. they're the one that's going to go home with the baby and raise the baby. And I think dad's being involved during the process, if the mother wants, because mm -hmm. there's some mothers who... <laughs> they don't want the dads around <laughs> um and if yeah. they do I think that is beautiful and I think it's great when I see dads um involved and for dads who want to know how to ask the doula how can I be involved and you know support support the mother because it is mm -hmm. a lot of work even after like even in, during postpartum I think dads mm -hmm. need to understand how they can definitely support support the mother I mean, I think there's so much value in having a partner, an intimate partner, right? I think that 
you know, there's a reason why it takes two, right, to create a baby. And I think it's so, so special, like you mentioned, to see dads who are active participants um, in bringing their babies into the world um, and who feel every pain, even though like those pseudo pains, they can't necessarily feel pain. They don't feel contractions, but feel so much for the person who's going through it that they are in like, it manifests for them in physical pain or discomfort. Um, sometimes it is anxiety and how do we deal with anxiety and how do we make this a less anxious situation for them, but giving them a role, right? Giving them a job, giving them um, duty and task, not only makes them feel important, but really intertwines them in the experience. Um, I think it's just as important for our dads to be able to tell the story of their children's birth and coming into the world as it is for moms. Absolutely. Um, and it's and it really it's it makes and saying that we give if we give them responsibility they'll take it if we take that responsibility away from them from the very beginning then it's like all right what am I supposed to be doing here like you know what I mean it's just it's very hard to give it to them again later on so from the very beginning from pregnancy um, those prenatal appointments the very early stages of labor active labor transitioning into having the baby. It's very, very important that we're charging our, our dads with the responsibility of being there 110%. So when you do take the baby home, when you are suffering with postpartum, that they feel just as responsible um, for everything that's happening. Absolutely. Um, so Black mothers are four times more likely to die from childbirth than white women. Um, so how can mothers better advocate and protect themselves during the birthing process? Well, it's, 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 it's pretty sad. It is sad. And a lot of heavy, a lot of black mothers don't have this, don't have this information to go in. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, they, they trust these healthcare providers to deliver Mm -hmm. their babies and they safely go home. Um, I was reading a post how after Serena Williams had her baby, she just didn't feel okay. Mm -hmm. She didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. She felt like something was wrong with her. And she she got out of bed and went to the nurse and told the nurse that she wasn't feeling well and that she thinks something's wrong with her. And the nurse was like, well, I just think that you're like, something's wrong with like, um, she's like delirious or like, I think it's like the med, you know, you just had a baby. Why don't you go back to bed? And come to find out she had, she had, um, she had clots. I believe it was a blood clot. Yeah, she yeah. had blood clots. So it's just like Black women are expressing, there's several stories. Black women are um, mm-hmm. expressing how they feel during, after the process or during the process, how something doesn't feel right. And it's just, it goes right over the heads of the healthcare providers. And um, I think it's important for Black women to know that um, they can protect themselves. They can advocate Mm -hmm. themselves. They shouldn't be afraid to speak up for themselves before the process Mm -hmm. and after the process. Um, Definitely. I just want to add on to that question because I feel like within the conversation, we're going to get to it, which um, is kind of like how to advocate for themselves and also how can they remove the fear of going mm. into labor I wonder if like advoc- knowing how to advocate maybe can help remove that fear like you said about right. Serena Williams Serena Williams right Serena, if she's going through this not saying it's a situation where class should matter but this is how you know it's like we are literally one in the same and I think it was a pulmonary mm-hmm. embolism that she was having and they completely disregarded that so mm-hmm. the fact that like Serena Williams millions and millions face known all around the world um, it kind of scares us average African-American women to think like if they don't care what she has to say, 
how do I feel comfortable to even advocate for myself? Mm-hmm. How do I that fear going into this process? I also right. do want to add, Tati, on top of that, is that it's been proven that socioeconomics, like your status does not matter when you enter that delivery room. You could be the, you could have the highest degree. There's women, there was a doctor that passed away just a few months ago. Pediatrics. Like for Pediatrics. You can have the highest PhD. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic background is. It's just Black women in all aspects are are dying because just the lack of care and health care. And it's just sad that yeah. we, it's, it's been a constant, it's been a constant issue. And it, it's sad that our country is even worse than all other countries. Why is that? It's, I mean, like you mentioned, in some areas, Black women are dying at a rate of four to five times more than their white counterparts. Um, and there are so many different factors, right? But the underlying major component, the thing that unifies us all is our race, not our ethnicity. So it doesn't matter if you're Haitian or you're Jamaican. It doesn't matter um, your class. It doesn't matter if you're upper class or of lower class. It doesn't matter your educational status. It doesn't matter if you never got graduated high school or if you have a PhD. It doesn't even matter necessarily your weight. So there's comorbidities. It doesn't nece- that doesn't really necessarily make the difference. Your race is a differentiating factor. Um, to answer that first question about how to advocate for yourself, knowledge is power, number one, right? Being able to be well-versed in yourself, in, in your own body, right? And being able to be well-versed about who you are, what your likes and dislikes are, what makes you tick, what makes you not tick, what's com- what you're comfortable with, what you're uncomfortable with. A lot of times when we get into hospital settings, when we get into these high-pressure settings, we kind of relinquish control because it's like, you know what, I don't really know what I'm talking about in comparison to all these people who have done all this education and are practicing in the field. No one knows your body like you know your body, right? No one knows you like you know you. So being able to articulate what makes you you, right, and what you're comfortable with or you're not comfortable with is, is the value is, um, there's, it's invaluable to, to have that kind of, um, to be able to articulate that. Secondly, when I say knowledge is power, being able to, you know, pull up the facts, know the facts, know the statistics, know very basic vocabulary. I'm not talking about knowing all the intricacies of um, medical diagnoses and all these things. I'm not saying necessarily need to know what a pulmonary embolism is or, you know, uh, cardiomyopathy or any of these big, huge words that can be a little bit daunting sometimes, but it doesn't hurt to know those words. But my point is that being able to be well, to, to, to know things, right? To know um, the basics of, you know, what does an EKG do, right? What is this thing that they're going to put on my belly? What is the Pitocin? What is penicillin? Um, How are they going to put in this IV? Knowing those basic things, right, about what's about to happen to your body in this process when you enter this hospital really sets off alarms as far as if something isn't going right. Because at times things go wrong and we we don't trust our own instinct because we, we, we believe and we want to trust, like you mentioned, we want to trust that this place that we're in, they have our best interests at heart. And what they're proving time and time again um, with all these mortalities, with all the morbidities, 
of the infant mortality rates as well is that they don't have our best interests at heart. When you look like when you look like what we look like, right? When you look a little brown toned, um, you lose value in their eyes. So knowledge is power. Um, and not only arming yourself with that information, if you can't have a doula, which I always, you know, have a doula if you can, um, but if you cannot have a doula for whatever reason, making sure that the people that you're bringing with you, your aunties, your moms, your cousins, your partner, whoever is going to be with you in that space is as well-versed as you are. It's that important because when you're down and out, when you're in the middle of contraction and trying to get through it, the last thing you're hearing is necessarily, you're not really necessarily hearing or being able to process what the hospital system is saying that your providers are saying to you, your nurses are saying to you, doctors are saying to you, you'll say yes to anything, you'll sign anything um, because you're in such a state of, uh, of disarray. But knowing that your people, right, my auntie, my cousin, my partner, whoever's going to be with me, uh, my mom, whoever that person is, is as well-versed, who knows the plan, just like I know the plan, um, who knows me as well as I know me as far as what I want and don't want, giving them that knowledge gives them the power to to advocate for you um i also think that it's really important that we are not afraid to make noise i think at times we don't want to be that angry black woman we don't want to be the angry black couple um unfortunately the story of kira kira johnson um the four kira for our moms which i believe her husband's name is charles um one of the things he says when he talks about the, her unfortunate death. And if you're familiar with the story, um, she internally bled for hours. I think it was something like 10 hours before they brought her back into surgery. Um, hours and hours and hours of internal bleeding. And this is a man who's very well-versed, who's very well-educated, his mother of a judge. I believe he practices law himself. One of the things that he said is that he didn't want to be like that angry black man making a ruckus, right? Don't be afraid to make noise. Right. If if nothing else, if making noise saves a life, if nothing else, right, it's worth it. Don't be afraid to make noise because it's really sometimes it can be the difference between life and death. It can be the difference between someone who's a priority and not a priority if you're making noise. Um, and if it's really something that is bothering you, is um, catching your attention, is making you uncomfortable, it's worth addressing. That's it. There's no other threshold. If it's uncomfortable, if it's bothering you, if if it's painful, whatever the case is, whatever that word is that's negative, it's worth it. It's worth bringing up. Nothing is not worth it. Um, and there are no, there should be no stupid questions or stupid um, like things to bother the nurse with. There's no way you're bothering the nurse. It's her job to cater to you um, in a medical way, of course, but to cater to your needs. So use them in that aspect. Um, I, I believe you had, I think you had another question, Tati, and I think I'm missing. I it. was just, um, the next question was, um, how can black mothers remove like the sense of fear when fear. going into labor? But yeah. I just wanted to touch on something that you did say, which I think in turn, um, answers this question about mm -hmm. how knowing certain things like researching, mm -hmm. you don't need to know everything, like you said, but there's, cause as a nurse myself, I can hundred percent say like, there's times I go to a doctor's appointment with my mom and dad. I don't say I'm a nurse, but they're saying certain things. Mm -hmm. And my parents, um, they were born in Haiti. They they understand mm -hmm. English, but I'm always there. Like my mom says, this is why you're a nurse. Like I have my own nurse. She brings me to her appointments. And there's times I ask certain questions. I don't even realize I'm using the language or the way I'm articulating myself. But they're like, are you a nurse? Are you in the medical field? I'm like, yeah, I'm a nurse. And it's like the minutes, the minutes 
someone in the healthcare profession realizes that their patient or someone with their patient is in the healthcare field, it switches up. Like, oh, okay, they, that person mm-hmm. just went out and told everyone, hey, her daughter's a nurse in there. Or she's a nurse. Yeah. They're letting everyone know beyond yeah. your P's and Q's, top-notch, 100% mm-hmm. care, because they know what's going on. And, 100%. and unfortunately, not everyone's a nurse, not everyone's a doctor, not everyone's in that field. But just knowing those key words right there will let mm-hmm. them know, ding, 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 okay, she knows. She knows what she's talking about. She right. knows this and that. Right. And so it's really important to, like I said, you don't need to know everything, not at all. But know certain things about labor. Know those buzzwords. Know, like, you know, and mm-hmm. being a Black woman, know that this may present differently in you than it presents in your white counterparts, and they may brush it off. Right. But for you, that's significant. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. just doing yeah. your research can literally, I'm letting you know, they're going to be, okay, she knows what she's doing. We're not, we can't, we can't mess up. Because she has her yeah. daughter who's a nurse, or she does this, or she knows that. So definitely yeah. education is key. And I think that in itself can once you're you can only go into labor prepared to a certain extent because you just never know mm-hmm. but i think a part of removing that fear is going in as prepared as you possibly can be yeah I, and i think the important piece also that you just made me real um uh, remember is you know hold hold your healthcare system accountable um it's really interesting to hear online and on these social media forums and things of that nature um these really serious grievances that people are having but they're not being documented right they're not following up and i've sat in on board meetings with hospitals and they do like a community outreach portion where they go over any grievances and there are none i'm like there's no way there's none because I know last night I was reading a, a, a really serious grievance came from this, coming from this hospital from the viewpoint of a, a patient, but we're not, as Black women especially, we, we if we survive the moment, right? If we get through it, we never want to think about it again. We don't want to document it. I'm not going to write a report. I'm not going to file a complaint. It's so, so important that you're following up and holding your healthcare system accountable, holding your providers accountable, writing down the names of people who rubbed you the wrong way, not in in like a petty kind of way, but rubbed you the wrong way in a serious way, offended you in a serious way so that they're held accountable because no one knows they've offended you until you let them know that they've offended you, right? So um, it's very, very important that we're holding our, our healthcare system accountable um by filing those complaints because the hospitals want to hear them right um and whatever their motive is i'm not going to speak on that but they want to hear them and it's important that you're documenting serious complaints and not just leaving it on social media where it dies off in a couple of days once the next news story comes up it's so so important that we're following through um and that we're filing complaints it's very important i think that's where change starts and that's where Mm-hmm. policies are implemented because if there's no issue if the hospital looks like they're not having any issues and there's no claims that are being filed and it looks like there's no problem right so there's not going to yeah. be the states are not going to try to implement any policies that could save next lives um and i think with us speaking up and um holding our healthcare system accountable you're going to there, there's a chance that you could be saving someone's life and um, I definitely think the change does start with um, the healthcare system. Um, and it also starts with us working together in the communities to make sure that those changes do happen. Um, I don't know for you guys, but I've seen so many 
people coming together um, to make sure mm-hmm. that there are acts being put and are being implemented to help mothers. Um, if I didn't see that two years ago or three years ago, it's because people are speaking up. And when people speak up, there's change that happens. So I think we continue, we need to continuously continue to speak up about these things. So change that change could happen. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So we'll move on to the next question. So what are major factors that contribute to the disparities in black maternal health? I mean, the number one, right, is race. Absolutely. Um, but there are comorbidities that we don't um, take into consideration and sometimes don't present themselves until we're in something like a labor-intensive space, like labor and delivery, like giving birth. Um, issues, cardiac issues are huge. Um, bleeding, hemorrhaging issues are huge as far as in the Black community. Um, issues with weight, sodium intake, and um, not generally taking, having generally being of good health um, as far as what we could be doing on a day-to-day where we're taking into our bodies um, that kind of way. Um, So those are huge issues and those are kind of minute in comparison to what our system's doing because we're Black women. Um, It's really important that, you know, you're aware of certain things that go on in the hospitals that you're going to be receiving care from. So being aware of their rates of, of, mortal, of mortality, um, maternal mortality, and what, what the, what's connected to, because um, cardiomyopathy, issues with the heart, issues with bleeding, those are major ones, right? But there are also things like accidents. Um, what's the rate of accidents, maternal, maternal related accidents in the hospital that you're receiving care from? What's the rate of neglect? Um, what are the rates of complications as far as post recovery? Um, are there things happening post recovery um, that are not being addressed right away that are building up and becoming major issues? Issues like eclampsia, um, which can happen postpartum, uh, blood pressure issues, things of that nature. So um, it's very, very important that we are, you know, we're defining for ourselves what our standard of care is. Um, and not that we're being subjected to whatever the hospital standard of care is. Because on paper, it's always going to be like, you know, we have patient-centered, patient-focused care. But they always have these, you know, safe words and all these things, these systems in place, quote-unquote, these, you know, code reds and code blues and code whites to keep them accountable on paper. But it's very, very important that we're familiar and we're familiarizing ourselves with what's my standard of care, what's okay with me, what's not okay with me. Um, and it, Will I be able to recognize when I'm not I'm not getting the standard of care that I need um, and that's beneficial to me? Um, and what will I do about it? And it's really okay to get up and leave, a hundred percent. I think sometimes we we fear that, right? We fear getting up and leaving, causing a scene. But it's really important that we are able to get up and go. Um, um, a follow up question to something you just said that I honestly never thought about in terms of finding out what their maternal death rate is and all their incidents and accidents. Are we, um, I don't know if I, as a doula, if you've encountered this situation, if you know, but can we request mm-hmm. that information from the hospital? 100%. And most of the time, nine, they should be posted online in their annual reports. Um, hospitals are required to uh, post online in their, you know, their annual reports, which include things like maternal deaths, which sometimes will even include um, more specific details into maternal deaths. So rates of accidents, rates of uh you know, issues with bleeding or hemorrhaging, um, rates of, you know, quote unquote, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, and it's really important that we're familiarizing with ourselves and seeking out that information. So if you go into your hospital's website, you go into the labor and delivery page, um, you should be able, and not even just in the labor and delivery page, but um, even in like the directory or somewhere around there, they'll have like um, this huge long list of like, uh, I'm forgetting the name, but it'll say like 2021 analysis or 2020 analysis or something like that and it's a, it's a long document it's a huge document usually hundreds of pages um but sometimes you can even like uh it'll be there'll be a index in the beginning you can flip to the page where it's labor and delivery or maternal health rates um and look for those those stats because it's so important um and a lot of times like if you work for a hospital if i work for a hospital i may not know that information readily um i wouldn't think to seek out that information but they are required to to provide that information to the public um, also, I know that you can also request to get information on specifically your doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. 100%. Calling their office, you should be able to get that information. Also, they have a bureau um, that they have to report to. They have a licensing agency uh, or board. So requesting documents for them, are there any uh, complaints or strikes on their record? Um, being familiar with that because that's really important to know and to discuss with your doctor even asking them outright like you know what are the complaints <laughs> what do people say about you um, what are the things that people don't like about you and if they don't have an answer that's a problem or if their answer is um, oh there's nothing that's also a problem that's a flag as well what do you mean there's nothing yeah <laughs> there must be something there must be something that someone has had as has uh, complained about. Um, and it's really important to familiarize yourself with that so that you're on alert. It's really about giving yourself the information, not so that you can use it against them, not so that you can cause drama or be an issue, but it's about if this doctor has a history of using bad language, let's say that, let's say it's just bad language. When he starts to use bad language with me, I'm like, whoa, 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 that's not gonna happen. Here, because I realize that's an issue that you had before, I'm not going to subject myself to that. I'm going to move on. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Exact period. Exactly. I think um, with also with doctors too, a lot of I've actually had a friend um during her pregnancy. I was checking up on, on I was checking up on her, and one thing that she expressed to me is that she felt like her doctor wasn't listening to her, and I was just like, well, if your doctor's mm -hmm. not listening to you you have the right to be like, I'm oh, sorry, I'm going to have to find somebody else, deuces. Like, yeah. you don't have to feel like you're obligated to stay with someone who's not going to listen to you now. If they're not listening to you now, who knows how everything's going to go? I can't 100%. At that point. And we have to be unapologetic about it, right? It's not even about saying, like, you know, I'm sorry. Not to say I, I'm a sorry. I'm an apologetic kind of person. I apologize to everyone. Um, but it's really about being unapologetic about your care. Who are you going to apologize to when it's your life in the balance or your child's life in the balance? So it's really about being unapologetic about what our standard of care is. And um, it's, it's, easy, it's as easy as making an appointment with a different office and stopping care with this office that's it you never have to go back you don't have to send in anything you don't have to request anything you don't have to talk to anyone from that office ever again it's as easy as making an appointment with a different office and they will handle all the paperwork as far as getting your records and all of that information um because like you mentioned if 
if they're not listening to you now in your prenatal appointments where, you know, you're a new mom or even if you're a second or third or fourth, fifth, sixth time mom, it doesn't even matter. Um, if they're not listening to your minute questions and answering every little thing that you have um, to ask questions about um, and being attentive, when it comes down for you to be in labor and in pain or maybe in your postpartum and you're uncomfortable or something's not necessarily going right, um, who's going to be who's going to be listening out for you? Who's going to know your baseline? Who's going to know that you're good at this point and you're not good at this point or you're not good at that point, um, if not your doctor? And that kind of segues right into this next question. Because um, like we've mentioned throughout this conversation, unfortunately, women that look like us were dying at an extreme alarming rate compared to others, especially compared to white women. But is there anything that you think hospitals can do to tackle this um, crisis and what can we do as a country? I feel like for me yeah. as a nurse, so me being a black woman and then me being a black mm -hmm. nurse, I think one of the steps that hospitals can do is first of all, sit with your black employees, sit with the black nurses, sit mm -hmm. with the black doctors who are going to be in this room with these patients and find out mm -hmm. from your employees if they see the bias, if they see the, mm -hmm the the racism in this specific healthcare facility because once you i you can't solve a problem you're not identifying and like you said right. um sometimes a woman could be in labor and it's the worst experience but it's so traumatic she just she's just grateful she's alive and her baby's alive she's going home she's not complaining you know what i mean and as yeah. women, like you said we don't want to be the angry black woman we don't want to raise records we don't want to make noise so sometimes we silence ourselves you know what i mean so mm -hmm. Ask us, ask the people who are in the room serving these people if we see that things need to be done different. If the patients aren't speaking up and you're not going to think there's a problem and you don't care enough to ask the Black people who are working for you to see if there's an injustice there, if you don't identify the problem, there will never be a solution. So that's just from a nurse standpoint. I see um, mm -hmm. where hospitals can start taking the steps needed in order to fix this situation if it's fixable. I think it is fixable. And I think that um, it's going to take a lot of work. I think there needs to be a willingness, um, first and foremost, to, to address the problem and to want to change it. Um, and I think, you know, from the very beginning, I think it, it begins in education. I think from the very beginning, um, there needs to be things. I think the cultural sensitivity trainings and those seminars where you go in for an hour and all the, the whole department has to go in for an hour to do cultural sensitivity training is absolute BS because we're obviously missing the mark. We're missing the point. And there's no way, there's no possible way that you can identify um, and rectify the hundreds of cultural nuances that are uh, that are the black community, not only the black community, but the Asian community, the Hispanic community, all these different kinds of communities that are so beautiful in their own respects um, and also deserve a different level and a different type of attention. Um, although the standard of care should be the same, the way that the way that I would interact with a Asian person um, and their cultural uh, nuances is different than a black person's because we have different standards. 
right? We have different things that our culture deems as important. So it's very, very important that we are starting at the very, very beginning in the education of our providers, the educations of our OBs, the future OBs um, before residency, right? So in the very beginnings that we're, where they're talking about things like, you know, uh, environmental racism and social justice. Um, and I think it's really, really important that we're beginning to dismantle the hospital hierarchies. There's no way that there's a there's a pyramid, right? And the doctor's at to on the top. There's no way. And we expect for this to be a, uh, a healthy um, system that breeds healthy outcomes and healthy babies and healthy moms when the, when, when the doctor's above reproach, when there's no one that's able to call them out on their BS, honestly, that's what it is. And I think it's really, really important that we, we put the patient back in patient-centered care and that we're building our care systems around the patient, around their individual specific needs. Because without that, right, and I think that's the difference between doula care um, and uh, nurse care or doctor care, not only the medical aspect of it, but doulas cater to your specific individual, individualized care needs. There is no policy. There is no system in place where you go through the checkpoints. It's all about what are your needs? How can we address your needs? What is your background? Um, what are the traumas that you deal with? Um, what is your cultural, what is what is culturally significant to you? What are things that we can cater to in that way? That's what doulas spend all this time doing it's, as far as relationship building. Um, it's about creating individualized plans. And I think it's if we were to reincorporate the patient in our care system, in our policies and procedures, um, instead of saving our own butts as far as, you know, liability and malpractice and all these, these suits and things of that nature, if we would reincorporate the patient, um, we would see outcomes far better than where we are now. Um, not only that, I feel like we do a disservice <clears throat> excuse me, to not only our patients, but to ourselves. Um, I can't imagine what a provider goes through on a day-to-day -day basis and what they do to try and cope with the, the trauma that they experience on a day-to-day -day basis. It must be so, so hard. Um, and I do believe a lot of providers, especially if you've been in the game, in the work for years and years, you become desensitized to a lot of things, desensitized to the point where you don't see people as people. You don't see a person in their personhood. You see case numbers, you see conditions, you see comorbidities, you see acute conditions. You don't see necessarily that this person has um, maybe a history of sexual trauma. This person has a history of anxiety disorders that manifest in physical um, pains, right? You're not seeing that. You're seeing what they're presenting with, and we're missing everything else, which therefore, you know, causes different diagnoses, which causes which causes different uh, outcomes. And then we, we, if we talk about like all this implicit bias stuff, right? When you come into a room and all you know is your implicit bias, and all you know are the statistics for Black people or Black women. When a woman complains about pain, you automatically assume it's only right because you're desensitized, because we're in a culture where you are at the top. It's only right that you assume, or it's only natural, excuse me, not right, but natural that you assume that this person is maybe drug-seeking, um, seeking pain relief, and that they're not necessarily... Um, they're not necessarily feeling what they're feeling because you're so desensitized. I think it's really, really important that we, I'm just gonna say it again, reincorporate the patients in patient-centered care. You said there, because I think this 
topic specifically regarding black maternal health, obviously racism, that, that's, it's present, it's evident, it's there. But even just to dissect it a step further and just even take away this specific topic of black maternal health, just the healthcare system in general, and how you said that providers, it's not even patients anymore because they're so desensitized. And this is in no way of me advocating for the, the racism that is in the system at all, but just even just being in the healthcare field, it's kind of like how, unfortunately, when we go on Instagram, Black Lives Matter, we're getting so desensitized to seeing Black bodies being killed in front of us because, it unfortunately, is becoming the new norm. There is so much mm-hmm. that goes through a doctor, a nurse, a provider, a, people in the medical field's minds that it's like they don't purposely not see you as human. They see you as, I need to take care of you. This is the standard of care of, and knowledge I've been given. This is what I can go off of. You have this pain, boom, standard of care. I'm trained to give mm-hmm. you this. And mm-hmm. it's literally a situation they don't even have the time to see you as a human. Yeah. And I've seen that firsthand yeah. in terms of just me working in a clinic and the amount of time slots they have for doctors to see their patients is ridiculously short. Right. Right, the right. is all about the money so when you're having a patient the standard patient come in and the appointment time is only supposed to be for 20 minutes but this patient has a 45 minute 50 to an hour condition that they need to discuss the, the provider doesn't have that time because they have five other patients waiting it's literally a system mm-hmm. where the healthcare system is built on money and not the patients therefore when you're working in it yeah. your mind Uncontrollably, uncontrollably goes into that aspect as well. And now you're add, adding racism. So you're telling me I need to run mm-hmm. the standard of care, but see all these patients, but also I have to keep my job and make hit my quota. But yet I have to remember that this patient is white, this patient is black, this patient is Asian, this patient is Hispanic. And all four of these categories and beyond require specific needs. How? I am not an octopus with eight different arms. And this is known the blatant racism that is present in this case, but this is just to highlight and show that the healthcare system overall needs to be dismantled and rebuilt. And like you said, put the patient mm-hmm. back to the patient-centered care because unfortunately we are only human too as healthcare workers. And mm-hmm. we have all this trust put into us, but there is only so much we can do. Because even me as a mm-hmm. Black woman, I have my biases that are seen and unseen. You know what I mean? I go into a patient's room and I see a Black patient I know because that's my people. What and I can't. I can't even stereotype another black woman. I can't even do that mm-hmm. as a black woman. I still have to think of her as another patient, but also not putting my own stereotypes mm-hmm. or my own knowledge of her being a black woman into that completely because her experience may be completely different than mine. So it was just a lot, and I just love how you just said that we need to put the patient back into patient-centered care because this is racism, but. Even if that was erased, which it never will be, hopefully, but probably not, there is just something within the healthcare system in general that needs to be rebuilt completely. Mm, 100%. Sorry, (laughs) I was still muted. Um, Definitely, I feel like um, everything that you guys said, I completely agree with it. I have worked on creating policies of what do I think that should be done to tackle this crisis. And it's just, I've never thought about patient care. You know, it's just like, what can the states do? What can the hospital do? How can the hospital educate doctors? 
and it's I've never mm. thought of you know putting the patient as in the at, yeah. in the center of it all. It's funny, and right? And I don't think anyone has. I don't think anyone it has hasn't. because if you ask a person what they need instead of speculating and creating all these policies and procedures around what you think they need or what the stats say they need, if you ask the person, they will tell you what they need. If we ask black women what we need, they we will tell you what we need. Point blank and period. We'll tell it very plainly. Um, we're very able to say um, and to articulate what our needs are as women of color. We are able to do that if we're given the opportunity and the space to do so. Um, and I think that's what we're lacking. The, we're not having those opportunities to be able to say what we need. Mm-hmm. And then we, when we do say what we need, um, they don't listen. It's like, but I think that, that like shouldn't no discourage us as Black women. I think we should continue to still speak until they listen. And um, yeah. don't silence yourself and continue to speak up for yourself. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, and these, it's, it's interesting, like you mentioned, I think it was Tati that mentioned, um, being becoming desensitized to seeing Black bodies being killed and um, mangled and marled uh, as a result of what's going on, police brutality and all these things. Um, I think we also have become desensitized to the inadequacies in our healthcare yeah. system because it's been the standard for so long. Um, it's almost like we don't see that it's inadequate because this has always been the standard. And I think now that we're able to have these, now that we are having these conversations um, and we are holding them to a higher a higher standard, my own standard. I'm not holding you to the standards that you guys have set for yourself, but instead I'm holding you to my own standard. Um, We're seeing these shifts. We're seeing these patient boards, these patient-led boards, um, and patients becoming part of um, board meetings and um, on staff uh, as patient advocates and navigators and all these things. It's so, so important because now we're shifting the tide. We're giving the mic back to the people, Right. Um, and it's really, really important. Like you mentioned, I think Tati mentioned as well, um, the fact that our, our healthcare system is so money driven um, and money is what talks. Right. Um, and I think the more noise we make, we can be louder than the money. Right. If we allow ourselves to be, if we give ourselves a voice and the permission to be loud um, about what matters to us. I agree. I, I think it's just we're just so scared to be perceived a certain way unfortunately but yeah. definitely if we yell enough they will have no choice but to listen but to yeah listen. so it's right. just having conversations like these and this is why i want to say thank you again for just even taking on the role of being such an implement and important part of such a tough journey for women in general but specifically for mm-hmm. black women and i just honestly like before i never i was like okay adula like what? I don't need that. Like I'm okay. But then it's like you, you, like you hear so many stories and you see how much of an impact that the healthcare system has on a person negatively. That mm-hmm. a, a doula can only help, yeah. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. A doula can only help. So I personally, I'm going to have a doula. Ellie, she's right there. That's my doula right there. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have a doula, and I just want to say thank you for just even enlightening us through this conversation and just providing a space for us to just talk about it. And this is how things continue. And this is how we will hopefully dismantle the system just by having conversations like this. Uh, well, thank you both for the platform. I think it's it's so important, the work that you guys are doing. Um, 
And I don't discredit at all podcasts and their ability to really make a difference because it really just takes that one person to hear that conversation one time and it it, it holds true to them and they take it with them the rest of their lives. So, um, you know, it's really you guys holding the platform. I'm so glad that you invited me on and I'm happy to be here. Um, and I'm also really, really excited, Ellie, to see you in your journey as a doula. Um, and I tell my doulas all the time, it really doesn't matter if it's just one person and your entire doula career that you helped make the difference for, it was worth it. It was so worth it. And even if it's that one person's yourself or it's your best friend or your cousin, whoever it is, um, it's worth it. Because it really, it's, it takes us to know us, right? Um, and it takes us to know us to make the difference. Absolutely. I, um, like I mentioned before, um, taking this doula class was not only for me to help um, others, but to help myself. Um, you have women who have Pinterest of how their wedding day is going to look like. Yeah. And that literally, I know I'm going to be a mother one day. Like I literally have a birth plan in mind. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm getting a doula. I'm, there's going to be two doulas in this room. Like <laughs> um, it's, it. it's so important. And I know that I, I'm a person that loves to, you know, educate others. And already with like some of my friends or like um, those I know that are pregnant, I'm already like, you know, there's this or there's that. And I'm trying to already tell them and I'm already trying to support them. Because it's important that we um, we speak up and we help our friends, our close ones, and those we love. Mm-hmm. Because um, if no, if we don't, who else is going to do that for them? So, uh, like Tati said, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know that when we started this podcast, we always wanted to make an impact. And if it's not um, several people who um, this impacts, but I hope that it definitely impacts somebody and that they learn something from this and that it helps them. Yes, for sure. I, I definitely think it will. <laughs> for sure. So thank you so much, Adriana. Um, so we are at our last um, segment for this episode. So our last our last segment is um, a segment that is called Melanin Monday. So in this section right here, why don't you just tell everybody about who you are? I gave a small introduction of who you are. I would love if you could go ahead and just tell everyone who you are, what you do, and where they can follow you, where they can add you, how they can reach out to you if they want you as a doula. Yeah, definitely. So um, like I said, thank you guys so much for the opportunity and the platform. If you didn't know, my name is Adriana. Um, I am a doula, birth and postpartum doula servicing Massachusetts. Um, I also provide virtual services. So if you are anywhere in the nation, um, and are wanting to reach out to a doula, I, of course, always recommend reaching out to someone local. But if you feel particularly called to reach out to me, um, you can definitely follow me on Instagram at Adriana the Doula. Also on YouTube at Adriana the Doula. I um, have recently, uh, actually started in September, um, have started midwifery training um, as a lay midwife, a home birth midwife, um, and that has been amazing. So I'm so excited for that, where, to see where that journey takes me. Um, I think I'll always have a doula's heart and a doula's brain and um, will be a doula forever. Once a doula, always a, a doula, but I'm excited to see um, 
where, where birth work takes me in general. Um, if you're interested in becoming a doula or kind of wanting to explore that a little bit further, I also train doulas um, and provide a monthly course that runs usually on the first weekend of the month. Um, it's four weekends a month, about 12 hours of 12 to 14 hours of Zoom or in-person, if we were in-person, but Zoom training and also an online component. Um, and it's always a great time. It's always great discussion. It's always a great crowd. And we're so, I'm always happy to have new faces and new people on there. So um, if you are interested in doula training, you can definitely reach out to me either via email, so doulaphilosophy.gmail.com or directly on the website, doulaphilosophy.com. Um, our teaching platform is doulaphilosophy.teachable.com. Um, and of course, I'll give you guys all of that information so you can share it um, in a more um, succinct way. But that's really it. I'm just out here really birthing and now I don't have children myself, so I don't, I'm not busy with kids in that way, but um, I always have someone's baby always. That's amazing. Thank you so much for doing what you do. Um, and I know that the mothers that you have helped are so grateful. Um, I'm grateful. <laughs> I know that there's yeah. always relationships. Uh, this and where I've seen mothers who have the same doula for like the same, like oh, every yeah. birth. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah, it's really about and the relationship is so important. And I think I'm honored to to attend a first birth and then a second birth and then a third birth because it really just shows the level of trust that they have in you. So um I think the mark of a great doula is clients who return. I like that. I will definitely be reaching out to you on my journey and hope please do. I want to follow all of it. Please do. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so thank much, Adriana, you. for joining us. Yes, thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate you. And thank, thank you. you all for thank you all for joining us on this um, episode. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I hope you guys have a lovely Monday. And make sure to tune in on Wednesday to watch the episode on YouTube. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye, guys.